Welcome back or welcome to another episode of the Success Times Happiness Podcast. I am your host, Richard Thompson, and thank you so much for spending some time in today's episode. Our next guest is Laura Dennis, a professional long course triathlete who has overcome an enormous amount of adversity over the last half a decade. I've known Laura for a number of years now, and I just know that this conversation is going to be riveting and inspiring. And I hope you all can get something out of it. All right. <laughs> Laura Dennis, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming uh, to the studio. I really, really appreciate it. And hopefully knowing, uh, I guess, somewhat of your story, I think this is going to be something that people will uh, just just fall in love with and also learn and I think uh, understand your experiences a lot better and hopefully they can take away your learnings and implement them into their lives as well. So I'll take us back uh, for people who don't know you uh, before COVID, let's say, I think you were arguably the best long course, if not one of the best professional long course females in the country. How many, what are we talking? How many wins here? Yeah, I think I was lucky enough to put eight under my belt in eight. my first two years of 70.3. So had a taste of success early and, yeah. and fell in love. For sure. And so what was, at that point, what was the goal athletically? I was fortunate enough to have a pretty special coach back then. Uh, most people in the triathlon world know Clayton Fattel and he sort of, stepped me through really one step at a time and it was about just the process. And so whether I was sixth at Asia Pacific Champs, you know, to us that was as good as a win mm. because that's, you know, I was 23 years old and my first year. And so we were stoked with that. It sort of, once the successes came, it sort of then, as we all do, we get wrapped up in that experience of winning and we cherish that and we chase that more. And so although I was taking one step at a time, things slowly escalated to being like, oh, where, how far can I go now? I was 10th in the world. I was like, oh, where can we get to now at 24? Um, yeah, so that was a bit of the early success. The goalposts were shifting almost as quick as the successes were coming. So did you then think, well, I could, we could work towards being the number one ranked in the world or how did that play out at that point in time? Yeah, I suppose it was a matter of, yeah, shifting the goalposts, as you said. It was like, cool, we're 10th in the world now on the rankings and what's next? How, you know, it was still picking a race at a time and mm. working through that process of the goals. But that vision of, oh, wow, I could actually make it in this sport was starting to come true a bit more. Mm. Um, which slowly, actually quickly changed when I had a stress fracture, probably my fourth by then, and was out for that 2019 season for, I think I had eight months off running. And so that really quite like derailed me. I did come back and, and had a couple of thirds, I think three thirds in a row, <laughs> and then COVID hit. Yeah. So we did get through that big setback. Do you think when you started off that process of, let's see how we go. We're just going to get the most out of ourselves and be happy with that. And so if that's sixth, that's sixth, right? Mm -hmm. But did you find that when you're, once you're winning and winning consistently that the goal was to win 
rather than the goal was to get the most out of yourself. Totally. It becomes more outcome focused. Yeah. And so you somewhat lose the pure joy and enjoyment for the sport. And because you're just chasing. Yeah. You're just chasing that, that outcome. Yeah. And so you quickly forget like, Oh, I'm tying up my shoes again. Oh, I've got to hit this pace. I've got to do these one K reps in this pace. And Oh, today's power is out the door. And so becomes really becomes binary, yeah. right? Like in terms of it's either success or failure. Yeah. Every single movement, every yep. single session. Yep. Analyzing everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you lose that. Yeah. You lose a p- pure joy for it. Yeah. And I think that joy would come from a place of let's see what we can do with my body that turns up that is, that is here today rather than I know that I need to hit this. And at least I guess in talking from my experience, like it's not just the data, but it's the, the perceived effort that you know that it should feel like. So you could hit the data but if it felt harder than it should, yeah, you analyze it's, it. It's shit. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, the numbers are good, but God, that that wor- I worked really hard for that, yeah. much harder than I probably should have. Yeah. Therefore, it's clouded. Yeah, and it's not. Oh, that was fun. It almost becomes a drag. Then every session, you'll if you don't hit what you wanted to or what you were expected to. The best case scenario is I'm just satisfied mm. with that. <laughs> That's it. That's the best case scenario for a session. Yeah. Rather than holy, that was awesome. Mm. Mm. That I was able to run that quick yeah. or ride that hard, but it was a uh, yeah that was that was as expected, mm. Mm. and or it's as expected or there was there's fifteen I felt fifteen different opportunities for it to fail or way to look at it as not a great session, mm. or if it was a great session it was just as I expected it yeah, yeah. it was yeah. never outperforming yourself never <laughs> never it never will be we'll never be satisfied yeah yeah but yeah. that's the human race right sure we're never just happy with where we are. We always want more. Yeah. And that's why I sort of touched on the idea of, you know, your rise to success in the sport before COVID was like, you could, it's very challenging to go, holy shit, I'm winning races here, professional races. I'm so young Mm -hmm. age wise, but also so young in the sport. I sort of didn't really take it for granted either. I was so wrapped up in the joy of it and just the process of getting better and seeing what my body could do mm. that I didn't I didn't really get an ego about it at that point. I think it was more after my first sort of big injury where I was off running for eight months and then trying to come back to the level that I was. And as I said, and as you've said, you know, at 23, 24 in my first few years, mm. tasting that success, but then realising this is a long game. I'm still 12, 15 years younger than some of the professional women. And, but I couldn't see that realistically. I couldn't see it for what it was in that moment. Sure. Looking back, it makes sense. Just hold your horse. There's time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tasting success and then having it sort of stripped away pretty quick. Open your eyes. Generally, people just don't have that long-term view of anything. No. They want the instant, quick fix. Instant gratification and... Um, and then it really tests you when you are out of the sideline for eight months and to go, actually, we need to, this is a 15 year, 20 year process. Yeah. yeah. And you, well, that's where comparison comes in and you're watching everyone else succeed. You're like, why do they get to succeed? Mm. Why am I stuck here? <laughs> for sure. Um, and then 2021 comes and this is, I guess, a pivotal moment in your life and the reason why, I guess, to a large extent, why we're talking today, 11th of March, 2021, your training you're on your bike. You sent me the file, the training file today, and that's harrowing to see what 
like there's such a such an um dead stop <laughs> dead yeah for like for a really poor choice of words um but you're riding your bike in Brisbane yeah mm. tell me about it i remember it pretty clearly up until, in, you, until you died until, until i died <laughs> Until <laughs> it came to a halt. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was a Thursday from, from memory. We're going back here now almost three years. But yeah, so just typical work day. Was heading out for my ride. Was planning to do four hours before work. Sometimes I get three or four hours depending how early I get up. I'd remembered it was a Mount Cutha session. So I went and did a few hill reps. I was heading towards home or towards work, which is the same direction. And all I was thinking about was this donut from a cafe called Nodo and I was hanging on to that thought and I was getting closer and closer to the cafe and all I remember was riding down this main road in Tenerife in Brisbane and a car's coming the other direction and she's pulled towards the centre line to turn right and I've into seen your line in into my line of direction but into the street sure to basically do a to your, intersection yeah yeah and I remember I mean I was flying she was flying and I remember her wheels sort of going to the centre line. And from memory, she hesitated and I thought she stopped. And clearly she didn't. But mm. that was my last memory was that her wheels were well across the centre line and I had, I was gone. Not long before that, I put my hand up to say thanks to the bus that was giving me like plenty of space behind me. Sure. And I was like, oh, you know, it's what you do. You're just polite on the road. You stick to your side. Yeah. And yeah, I remember waking up in the ambulance. So there's a, there's a massive gap as to what actually happened. And I'm kind of glad I don't remember that bit, but I remember looking down at my knee and it was just completely annihilated. It was to like cut to the bone. And all I cared about was like Geelong was probably two, three weeks away. And I was <laughs> two days before the accident. I won a race after COVID course record, 10 KPB and all I was screaming and yelling was, what about Geelong? What about Geelong? You know, we'd spent all through COVID and, you know, that sort of time getting back to fitness, all for it to be just taken away mm. in a blink of an eye. And mum got in the ambulance and apparently, I don't remember, it's all a haze, but all she kept saying was, you're alive, you're alive, you're alive. And I didn't care. Thanks, <laughs> I didn't care. Thanks, mum. Yeah. 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 I just cared about racing. How does this, yeah. How does this affect my the next my two life? weeks? <laughs> Little did I know, three years later, we'd still be rehabbing, dealing with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's I think that's not an uncommon. I remember so that whole analogy of when a cyclist comes down, it's like, "How's my bike?" is the first question. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. before I look at myself, how is the bike? <laughs> totally, it's the most important thing, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, talk me through the the actual, I guess, like what happened to you. Uh, the next couple of weeks or what was the actual diagnosis of what? At the initial time I had knee, shoulder, ankle surgery. Um, so I pretty much was bedridden for a week or two at least. Mm. So I couldn't use the crutches without walking and vice versa. And it wasn't really until I started, I knew straight away I couldn't fixate on things. I couldn't follow a TV show. I couldn't, I couldn't even keep up with the conversation. So I remember... One of the first memories I have of, wow, something's really up. I was going to the shops with mum and by this stage I could use the crutches and we were just going to Woolies and we're sitting in the car and she's saying, you know, sentences to me and I'd hear the first two words and it'd be this massive space bar and a blank and, and I'd go, 
you know, she'd look at me to answer and I'm like, what did you just say? Like I've, I've missed the whole sentence but I'm listening but I'm not – but it's not processing, it's not sticking. And I was like, wow, this is odd. And then we walk into the shops and, you know, the busyness of the aisles and all the products, the lights, everything was like a haze and I I was like, wow, this is, this is so – something's not right. Was it like the feeling of being drunk or – how would you describe that to someone who doesn't experience it, the, the haze? I explain a lot of the feelings as it's like drunk and hungover at the same time. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> because you got the, you got, you know, constant vertigo so you, and you, you can't fixate on things, so everything's mm. blurry. Um, it was not long after that that I started seeing neurologists. I still have about eight specialists now to this day. And, yes, yeah, so I was working with neurologists, or occupational therapists, speech pathologists, um, I found out I had 20% vision in my right eye, which has been a long journey. Um, the left eye was, both the eyes were bad, but somehow like, I guess the neuroplasticity of the brain has allowed the left eye to become more dominant. And so typically I look out my left eye. So if I'm sitting here looking at you, I'm really using my left eye. Right. You could wave something in front of the right eye and it won't react. Okay. Um, so... Over time, we started piecing together all these different things in terms of speech and vision and all the different things that come with a brain injury. When were you able to start moving physically? Once I could walk, like I got off the crutches, I could start moving my shoulder, all that sort of stuff. I could, you know, walk around. I was so fixated and focused on bending my knee to 90 degrees or further so that I could get on the bike. <laughs> I remember standing in my bedroom like, you know, day after day going, is it, is there enough range there? Can I, can I, can I pedal a full circle yet? And no, no, and no. All of a sudden got to this point where my knee could, you know, spin. So I think it was not long after that we went to Noosa for a holiday and, you know, Besides my head being as bad as it was, I was adamant I was taking my bike and my wind trainer. So we took we took that on. <laughs> I was probably only six to eight weeks post-injury. Right. And we took my bike and wind trainer to Noosa on holidays. And every day I was sitting on the balcony, dizzy, you know, everything spinning, all the, you know, brain symptoms going on. But I was still on the wind trainer. And I was Why like, do you think that is? Move. Why do you think you were so driven to, is it, was it the desire to get back quickly or was it? I think at that point it was, it, yeah. it was, I didn't realize the full extent. I didn't for a long time realize the full extent of this head injury and what the consequences meant mm. in that initial, we were what say eight weeks. I still hadn't accepted it. I probably didn't accept it for 12 to 18 months to be honest. So at that point, yeah, it was a hurry to get back to race, to get back to doing what I loved. Once to. the knee's ready. Yeah. Fine, I yeah, can, yeah. Yeah. I can ride. I can train again. Let's, I can. Let's go. You know, I was running, you know, running 100 mile an hour in my head going through every process as to how to get back as quick as possible. Yeah. When was the turning point of going, actually, this brain injury as a result of the accident is something that I need to give, I need to accept, or at least I need to give presence to because it's going to impact me. Where was the turning point there for you? The turning point? <laughs> I don't think there was one. Okay. I, I think... I think it just happened over time right. and that time was a, a long, long time. Mm. There were a few pivotal moments where let's say I went back to work for the first time at eight weeks, one, same thing, when I could fit my knee under a desk and bend it. I was mm. like, cool, I can sit in a chair, I can go back to work. 
that was a day that will never leave my memory. And I remember walking into the office, you know, walked up to my desk, sat down, looking at a Word document. I kid you not, I probably spent two hours staring at the same document and the same sentences. That's what all, working lo- out. That's what all lawyers yeah, do, don't they? Yeah, they do. <laughs> and they just charge a charge, fortune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, it's, yeah it's certainly as, as a lawyer you, you're required to – there's a lot, of, a lot of grey matter that's needed. I couldn't even read the first sentence. Yeah, right. So I called my boss downstairs and I was like, look, I can't read. You know, I went. I tried a couple of times over the course of a few months. No, okay, we're gone. Centrelink, let's go. That was an eye opener. <laughs> and so, what was the actual medical? Like, what happened in the impact for the listeners to understand? What happened in the impact to your head, and what's been the result? Like, what's been said to you as to why you're why you've been struggling? So basically, it's a uh, post traumatic brain injury, and as a consequence of that, I suffer from migraine. I have twenty percent vision in my right eye. I have dyslexia. I have seizures that aren't defined as epilepsy at this point, but seizures regardless. And I have a lot of issues with speech. And, you know, sometimes walk into meetings, I mean, day-to-day conversations, I'll stumble on my words and, you know, you could easily get embarrassed about it, but, you know, it's just part of the parcel. Um, Yeah, so there's a whole list of things that I deal with every day. Mm. Two and a half years later, what are you doing in terms of rehab now? What yeah, so like? still it's the same. I do two vision therapy sessions a week. Yeah, I do one speech therapy session a week. Mm-hmm. I have two neurologists that treat different parts. Obviously, you don't see them weekly, mm-hmm. but every so often for different checkups. I've been working with psychologists or counsellors for different periods. Um I worked with an occupational therapist to get back to work and to increase that workload. She's sort of tapered off now. Um, but yeah, very, very hands-on still with the vestibular physio um, in terms of spatial awareness um, and the visual dysfunction. There's a lot of vestibular. So like, for example, with swimming, you know, your head movement to the sides, that's vision, but it's also vestibular, the inner ear and the balance. Yep. Um, because typically we, you know, we look straight forward. We don't, yeah. we don't turn our heads left and right all day. Sure. So yeah, there's still, still a lot of work that I do in the background of, you know, trying to train and work Yeah. as well as rehab a brain injury Yeah. to so do you, those things. You have that, you know, incredibly traumatic event happen to you where it's not just my knees being crushed or my hips being stuffed or whatever, my ankle needs surgery. It's very serious in terms of how your brain operates and because of that injury at what point other than like the eight week mark of getting the wind trainer on the veranda but you made a decision to because it obviously at some point you have to get to a crossroad and go what am I going to do moving forward for me do I just answer phones if you can't read as a lawyer what do you do well I couldn't speak and I couldn't I really struggle with conversation that's not face-to-face. Mm. So when I'm on the phone, even to this day, I struggle to process what the person's saying. And I literally have to stop what I'm doing if I'm driving or if I'm folding some clothes and putting them in my cupboard. I stop what I'm doing so I can purely listen. When I'm face-to-face, I have two inputs. I have lip reading yep. and what you're saying. Audio. Yeah. But at the, the pivotal point, I suppose, 
literally going to Centrelink. It was like, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a triathlete. I'm not the nice car that I drive or the Ralph Lauren hat I'm wearing. I'm purely Laura, Dennis, and this is my soul. And I'm just needing money like the rest of these people. And so that was probably the first real acceptance of, yep, this is, this is it. This is what I've got right now. Mm. After that, it probably took another six months to get through the darkest period of my life and literally not wanting to be here every day. You've got the symptoms, but then you've got the fear of the future as to what am I, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I'm 27. Um, and so, so that was a horrible time, but at some point, and I say now to this day, like for six months, it felt dark and cloudy and raining. And one day the sun came out metaphorically, but that's what it felt like. And I, it was that time. And I guess it happened over a period of weeks or months, but at that moment I was like, you know what, this is what I have. Let's pursue what I've got. And so with all the symptoms going on, I accepted I might not ever work as a lawyer. I might not ever race. I might not ever train to the ability I used to, but I'm still here and let's work with what I've got. And that was, that was a defining moment of I have a second chance. You've said it is in this messy period where new growth begins, allowing yourself the freedom and comfort to acknowledge that this is exactly where you're meant to be. Is that that period of time where you're thinking all of these events you know, have come my way because that's what I want. That's what, that's exactly where I need to be. Part of me looks at this journey and everyone, you know, everyone has a journey and a story. And I feel, although it's not always what we expect or when we expect it, you look back and the dots have joined up. Mm. So we we go through life with these expectations of events that are meant to happen at that time or you know, things that were meant to unfold or where they were or when they were. And it's more often than not never that way. And the way that it works out, it catches you by surprise because you're like, how did I end up here? But it's an accumulation of the steps that you've taken. How do you trust that though when, when it gets very challenging, whether it's a traumatic event, whether it's another blow, how do you accept that this is just another dot that's meant to be? To be honest, there's really no other way. <laughs> the alternative is not good. There, there, there is no. The, the only other way is what, like, not be here. The nihilism. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you go left down that path of dark and gloomy, or you turn right and you go. Oh, I think that I think there's probably a middle a middle element of just playing victim. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Victim. To be able to, yeah. Yeah. To go, oh well, this is just me. And that's yeah. before the acceptance. Yeah, but not. I don't. I don't. I would suspect that not everyone gets to the acceptance at the right. At, as quickly as we should. Totally. And I also assume that a lot of mediocre people, if you can say, would just accept, okay, well, I don't need to work as a lawyer. I can work in a cafe or find another job that's more on the level of their circumstance at that point. But if you're striving for something that's going to require more courage and persistence, yeah. Of course, it's going to be tougher. You've said fulfillment doesn't necessarily mean happiness every day. It lies in the ability of pursuing something meaningful. You, at some point, more recently, have said, okay, I want to go all in, back all in to this long-distance triathlon career. Mm. And as we said at the top, you were one of the best in the country, if not, yeah, 10th in the world. Um, 
at what point does the meaningfulness, where did that land in saying for you to go, yep, I'm going to, we want to go back all in in this project of trying to be the very best that we can be as a triathlete. I think meaning the meaningfulness and the purpose, you know, it's what gets me up every day. Despite not even having a race on the horizon, I love the ability to tie up my laces and go for a run. Sometimes run without even a watch. Mm. It doesn't matter about pace. It's that feeling and it's that pursuit of moving towards something that makes you feel fulfilled. And, yeah, happiness doesn't always mean fulfilment. You've come back and you've gone all into this idea of I wanting to train and, and race and get to a higher level than I have ever been or at least see whether that path leads to that point. And you put your eyes on Geelong 70.3 this year <laughs> with, the, with the view of going then to do your first Ironman in Cairns yep. this year. Yep. And that was only a few weeks ago. Talk to me about your experience in Geelong. So my first real seizure was in Bustleton in, in WA, December. Ironman. We sort of, that was a bit of a shame, didn't work out. A couple of weeks later, did a 4K ocean swim and a marathon in Newcastle just to get something out and say, I can finish a race. I can still do this. My yeah. body still works. And they were like two fantastic races that I won, both the 4K swim and the marathon. So we're, you know, reset, refocus, go again for the start of the year. We'd sort of lined up a little mini season that we thought could pan out. You know, head to Geelong, literally peak form. Mm -hmm. Couldn't ask for more. Everything in training would suggest you're back to your pre-COVID. Yeah, I mean, to be data. honest, for the last, I mean, even since December, I've, I've been the fittest I've ever been. You know, it's gone peak to peak to peak. And unfortunately, the brain's just not keeping up right now. Anyway, we head to Geelong, fit as a fiddle, you know, was wearing a neoprene swim cap, gun goes off, fantastic start. It's probably 500 metres to go in the swim and I remember turning one of the last boys and I was like, wow, I'm still in the lead. I'm still here. I've still got this. Honestly, there's a gap missing and I was drowning. I was I – could, I couldn't tread water. I could not – even lift a muscle, I would muster up enough courage about three times to... You're having a seizure in the water. Yeah, had a seizure in the water. Mustered up enough, like, energy to pop my head out three times. Eventually the rubber ducky swings by. But there's that gap missing. I'm, I'm leading, turning the boy, I'm leading. And, and then literally the I'm drowning. I was... So there's a gap, uh, unconscious gap. But then when I came conscious, I was, I was drowning and... Yeah, that was that was the end. We obviously from that moment knew that cold water was a big trigger. That was twice now. Yeah. Anyway, you know, had a dark couple of days. And I was like, you know what? We'll be back. There's another chance. We'll, we'll be back. This is not over. Anyway, well, obviously, I think Port Macquarie was our next goal. Port Macquarie Ironman. So we flicked that cold water. Bought a thermal wetsuit from Deboa, which has been fantastic. It's meant to be, you know, between one and five degrees. Our water's 22 degrees. <laughs> but, yes, yeah. uh, for me it's, it's perfect. My brain doesn't regulate body temperature or glucose. So the brain, obviously being like the most vital part of our body, controls so much, the autonomic stuff. And so with the temperature we, we had lined up everything with, you know, Vaseline on my neck, you know, swim cap, neoprene cap, another swim cap, thermal wetsuit, 
you know, we're perfect. Swimming up and down, you know, at Corumban. We're like, yep, that's good. We're good. Anyway, line up for Cairns. Again, fittest I've ever been. Ran a 10K PB a couple of weeks before on a training run, you know, 34, 45 and couldn't ask for more. So th this is an Ironman and qualifier for the World Championships as well. So... Yeah, I, ever since I started the sport, you know, as a little kid, mm. Kona has been my dream. Yeah, but your data suggests you're fitter than you were back in 19 when you were at your peak. Oh, well, well above, yeah. well above where I've ever been, my, across all three. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, I went in and, and it's not even, I don't go into a race these days like going to win. It's what can I get out of my body? Mm -hmm. what, knowing what I do in training. Mm. Let's put it Just out there. emulate that. Yeah. yeah. It's not about measuring up against anyone else. It's measuring up against me. Whether I won that race or, you know, was fifth and whatever, I, I would do my best and that's all that mattered. And anyway, again, the gun goes off probably about a K in. I was still, you know, in the front. And all of a sudden, well, not really all of a sudden because it's how it is all the time, but swimming is still one of the biggest things. I just don't think I had fully accepted that part or I thought that I could make it through. So some races are different in terms of like the clarity of the water. You can see the bottom, it's clear. You've got other things to fixate on. Whereas Cairns, it was choppy, it was murky, it was there was people everywhere. And so I, I may as well have swum with a blindfold on. Like I couldn't see anything. And it got to a point where I was like, I'm either going to have a seizure or I'm, something could potentially go really wrong. And so that was the end of the swim halfway through. And that, yeah, that was my day done. That was kind of gone for this year. And yeah, that, that was, that shook me for mm. a while. A while. I mean, for four days, I was pretty, pretty dark. Was it your mind that's taken over to, to protect you from that experience in Geelong? Or? No, it was actually like physically the vision. So with this right eye only having 20% vision, your brain can't see anything. Like, so. I was getting slower and slower and slower because I couldn't, the brain couldn't keep up, which then elevates the heart rate, which then like go, you know, your muscles start to go weak. It, the brain, yeah, controls everything. And so I couldn't see at all. I was just like turning my head and breathing and t stroke after stroke just to keep going. Mm. And it was tough. Like it was a very tough decision to go, I'm out here, mm. but I, I'm out that like a physically, yeah. So you get out of that four day slump. And where does your brain then go? Because you've obviously, you know, uh, withdrawing from a race is nothing in the grand scheme of things relative to what you've overcome. Mm. So once you've gotten over the disappointment of that result, how do you see what happens internally in terms of seeing that sun, the, the metaphoric sun? I think it was a lot harder this time around because we have tried for so long mm. to make it work. Mm. And that part of me was adamant that this was my reality and that this triathlon dream was over mm. at this point. Anyway, mm. this has been my life for 10 years and I was struggling to accept that, Hey, I might not ever successfully do a swim race again, a swim portion of the race again. And I think that's where I spiraled. It wasn't so much about, not finishing cans or not going to Kona this year. I think it was more the bigger picture of like, this is over. Mm. You know, every day once I got home, I tied up my laces, went out, run along the beach, you know, watching the sunrise. And for me, that's all I needed. 
every day taking that action. I didn't feel good every day, mm. but I still showed up every day because I know that's how I move forward and taking that action and showing up. And so over time and, you know, by the, the following weekend, I was smiling, I was laughing, I was, you know, back. Life wasn't so bad. I live in a beautiful, beautiful spot mm. and I have four limbs at work. And every day I wake up, I'm still grateful for my four limbs. I look at them and I'm like, wow, mm. I can go and do what I want. I may not race successfully right now. I can still go out and ride my bike, go for a run. Mm. Yeah. So I pr- quickly realized that life isn't over again. You've said also that the outcome is merely the passing and the success is only our perception of that. How does your perception of success um, how has that changed from Laura Dennis pre-accident to now? Pre-accident, Laura, she was pretty self-focused. She was tunnel vision to the rest of the world. She was constantly chasing the next goal, the next achievement, the next race, the next win. Barely had time to say hi to the person at the cafe. You know, I was looking previously through uni transcripts and sponsorship proposals, race results, all the sort of achievements that I needed to pass over to someone. And, you know, part of me didn't even remember half the things that I did or achieved. Mm. I'm like, sure, I was only 24 at the time, but the list I I still didn't even recognise. I was like, oh, giant, I forget being sponsored by them. And, you know, what I would do to, I would kill to like revisit some of that again, purely just to like, remember the effort it took and just like to soak it all in because those moments are so rare. But back then, I guess because they were more frequent, I became used to it. Or the perception, I, of the, the perception of it is frequency. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I, I became greedy. It was like, what was next? What was next? Let's, let's keep going. Mm. And now it's like, yeah, I guess success is, it is. It's our perception. So on paper in the last three years, I probably haven't achieved that much if anything worthwhile. But if I view it like that, that I'm not succeeding or I'm not successful, you know, that's up to me to view it like that. Whereas I could, which I do and go, well, I can read now. I can have a conversation. I can do X, Y, Z. It might not look like anything on paper to anyone else, but to me, I've come further than any race win would ever measure up. So there's obviously an enormous learning from that experience and it would i i accept that for you to get that far and that much growth personally you needed that traumatic experience to occur ideally people who are listening or you know anyone in general would like there's so many learnings to happen and hopefully none of us have to experience such traumatic events to, to learn. So what is, what is your advice to, let's say, Laura at, in 2018? What are you telling your younger self? Firstly, that you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know your next steps. You don't have to have finished your degree, you know, by the time everyone else does. And there's no, there's no cookie cutter. Um, and also things can work out if you persist. Patience, that's probably the biggest word that's in my vocabulary now, but previous me wouldn't have a clue what patience meant. And no one likes being patient. You know, we all, uh, for three years, I've sort of searched for that magic pill to like 
remove all this head injury stuff. You know, I've had lawyers, I've had employers say to me like, when are you going to just accept that this is it? It's like, no, there's more to it. I know you said to me like after Cairns, even people close to you have said like, surely this is it. Surely you can just accept the fact that, accept your fate almost. Mm. Now that's not necessarily someone, that's not you, but where are you a few weeks now after Cairns? Where are you positioned? Where does it, where does your future look like? Yeah, you're right. You know, a handful of people over two weeks have said, when are you going to stop? You know, when are you going to accept? And, you know, part of me goes, okay, well, there's no triathlons planned for the next six months. That's okay. That's a given. But I haven't let go of the idea. There's so much more work to be done. I've seen the brain change in three years. I've seen it like firsthand. I've gone, wow, I can do that. I couldn't even keep up with a game of Uno or a movie. I couldn't process the storyline. And, you know, so I've gone back to the rehab, back to like fully structured weeks in terms of the different rehabs and my focus on getting the right ice ordered so that hopefully we can do a successful swim again. But in the meantime, you know, my focus is on other things, you know, still exercising because that's what I'll always do. Maybe setting some smaller run or cycle events. I've also been coaching a couple of athletes and honestly, one girl I coached on Sunday to the Gold Coast Marathon, she came to me in February and said, hey, I've, my longest run is 4K. I want to do the Gold Coast Marathon. Can you help me? I was like, sure, let's, let's do it. And honestly, being there, being part of her journey over the last five months, but being there on Sunday, honestly, the elation I had for her and like how happy I was for her yep. is on par to almost any success or achievement that I've had for myself. Being part of someone else's story or watching them succeed, honestly, like, filled my heart. So my focus is on other things. It's not to say I've fully given away triathlon. Like, that's the total opposite. It's that I've taken the focus on the outcome away for now. And just turning up and building that consistency. Yeah, and, and focusing on the, the rehab and the things that I can control about the injury in hope that... You know, it could be another two years till I race successfully. You know, we don't know, but it's not over till it's over, right? Well, it's not over until you say it's over. Yeah. Well, right. yeah, you're right. So and I don't say it's over. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. Before we leave you, there are those quick fire questions. So the first one is number one tip people can use to be more successful in their life. Again, I think I mentioned it earlier is success is only our perception. So if you don't think you're succeeding or you're successful, then that's totally up to you. But any outcome is is your perception of it. So change your focus. Yeah. Change your change. Change your the way you see it. Yeah. Change the way that you measure measure yourself or measure against others because it's it's all on you. Uh, number one tip people can use to be more happy in their life: take your mask of perfection off and leave it well away. Our ego controls us and if we confront that and, and show up with our imperfections and soak in who we are and who we really are and show up in the world as that person, there's like a weight of heaviness that's released and that, that's again on us. We get that choice. Why do, you think, why do you think people struggle with that? Well, no one wants to seem imperfect, right? No one wants to seem like they have flaws. God, I could rattle off a list and we'd be here for hours. But if you're going to 
live in fear of what people think of your imperfections or what people even think about you. Again, it comes down to like, you know, the question I got asked last week, oh, do you get worried what people think when you line up to the start line again knowing that you could fail? Are you kidding? If I cared what that person thought, I'd never step into another meeting. Mm. I'd never turn up to another race. I'd, I'd be in a shell. I probably wouldn't even go outside and exercise. Yeah. So those choices are on us, like imperfections, embrace them. Everyone has them. Some of the most successful people have millions of them you wouldn't even know about. Most influential person in your life. Definitely my coach, mentor, teacher of life. Um, yeah, Leo Young, he's been unbelievable. Um, he's We've been working together for about 12, 13 months now and I truly hope that everyone finds a Leo and some, <laughs> yeah, I I really do. I hope that they find someone who will ride those waves of, you know, success, failure, be there for the darkest times. Um, you know, someone that wants to see you succeed but will let you stand on their shoulders to get there. Yeah, that's great. And it, to have someone, I think, that will unconditionally support you, like they're not trying, they're not there for any other reason but to be there for you yep. and also to celebrate your wins as their own. Totally. really unique. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, most recommended book for you to, uh, to read? Definitely Courage is Calling by Ryan Holiday. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and I guess you were saying before the show that you're a fan of Ryan Holiday's anyway, so. Yeah, all his books are great. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been reading a lot recently and some of Stephen Pressfield's books are good too. Okay. Yeah. And finally, one guest, famous or not, you think we should interview on the pod? I really look up to Jen Lacaz, the steeple chaser, now debut marathon runner. Um, you know, her list of setbacks is is phenomenal and she's got up every time and killed it. You know, she's I can't tell you how many stress fractures, Achilles surgeries, you know, then even becoming a mum and coming back and, you know, winning Oceania Gold Coast Marathon. Um, yeah, phenomenal athlete. Well, I think um, you talk about her as someone who's inspirational and getting back from coming back from setbacks, but um, I've been privileged to speak to an hour to someone who I think epitomizes that as well. So I think what you're what you've done and what you've been through, but what you've achieved by coming back from it is nothing short of I'm not going to say I think amazing is a poor use of word, but it is really uh, inspiring. So. Uh, keep being you. Thanks. And thank you for coming. Appreciate your support. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> Laura Dennis, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that was Laura Dennis. Such an inspiring journey uh, from such a young athlete to have gone through the highs of early success in her sport to having such a traumatic event like she experienced to then have to deal with ongoing um challenges with with respect to her, her brain and how it all op, how it all works uh, to also then be able to redefine what success means for her and go after those goals despite what she's gone through and still come up against adversity and still look forward and want to achieve it's it's an amazing story so I really hope you enjoyed it I hope you got something out of it took some lessons from it to implement in your own life. And uh, yeah, a lot of thanks to Laura for getting up here and spending some time in the studio. So um, please let me know 
what you thought of it. Please share the episode with anybody that you think would really value it. And until next time, peace. Thank you.